On episode 228 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll hear a wide-ranging conversation on USCA League Tennis, how to record your matches, the best $40 reel of tennis string on the market today that you've probably never heard of, and much more with special guest Mark Sansit. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey there, this is Mirban. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Really appreciate you tuning in for this one. And today I have Mark Sansit on the podcast. Mark is the owner of Toxic Tennis, and he publishes very entertaining and useful videos of match play, product reviews, and tutorials on his YouTube channel, which has nearly 10,000 subscribers at this point, which you can uh, check out by uh, searching Mark Sansit on YouTube. That's M-A-R-K, and then last name S-A-N-S-A-I-T, and we also have the link to Mark's YouTube channel on the show notes page. And he also played college tennis at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, And I came to know about Mark by watching uh, Essential Tennis, uh, their YouTube channel. Uh, As many of you know, Ian Westerman uh, over there uh, is the owner. And uh, I saw a match between Ian and Mark. And I immediately uh, thought of Mark as an entertaining and also good player, a good person. And I continued to follow his content and have seen him play a number of different players, um, usually at the 4 5 and 5 0 level in singles and doubles. And it's really entertaining. Uh, and seeing his match play videos as well as Ian's did inspire me to actually uh, start doing some of my own. So I have uploaded a 5-0 singles match on my YouTube channel, which you can check out at tennisfiles.com slash YouTube. But today with Mark, we talk about a lot of different topics and issues. We talk about Mark being bumped up to 5-0 this year, which again, congrats on that, Mark, and uh, how he got to start playing tennis, his match play videos, uh, the intricacies about that, his setup, and I think interestingly too, uh, what he uses in his setup and how you can simplify that setup even further to record your match play, which is super insightful because I have found out a lot about my game from rewatching my match play as well as uh, checking out the comments from YouTube. So a lot of, a lot of cool stuff. We also talk about a, a tennis string that only costs $40 a reel and is, uh, in Mark's view, one of the best strings out there, better than RPM Blast. So I think you'll really enjoy learning about that. Uh, I've I've got to check that one out myself. And even uh, some some legal woes um, that Mark has encountered due to his content creation. So we do go through a lot, and I hope you enjoy it. And so without further ado, here is my interview with Mark Sansett. 
everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. And it's really a pleasure to have on Mark Sansit on the podcast. I've been watching a ton of Mark's videos lately. I just really love his match reviews and his, you know, product reviews. And he's really entertaining and funny. And, you know, that's what it's all about at the end of the day, just having fun and enjoying tennis. So, Mark, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. And it's great to have you on. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for the invite and glad uh, we have uh, a few mutual uh, contacts in the YouTube tennis community, one of them being one of the most successful tennis coaches of all time, Ian from Essential Tennis. So I'm glad that we have a mutual connection to kind of kick it off right there. Yeah, definitely, man. And and that is where I found you, uh, just watching him having a challenge match of sorts with you and being impressed by your play and, you know, correctly reading that you're Filipino, uh, like me, yep. I'm half. Um, <laughs> so, so very, very cool to, yeah, yeah. It's always cool to like connect, you know, on certain levels with, with, um, content creators like yourself. So it's yep. pretty awesome. But first off I have to, <laughs> and you're going to laugh, congratulate you on your bump up to 5.0. How does it feel, ah, my friend? <laughs> it, okay. So there's two sides to this coin. And by sides, I mean, like, it's very, very polarizing the way I feel sometimes, depending on, you know, what lens you're looking at it. I, I feel absolutely honored that the USTA has deemed that I should be a 5-0, which is apparently, according to some YouTube people, is like the pinnacle of recreational, non-professional tennis, which is fantastic. A little bit butthurt <laughs> because I can no longer be with my friends in the 4-5 state league. Because I'm no longer in that uh, in that bucket of tennis players, so I, I got to figure out what to do for this uh, coming this coming summer in 2022. We'll we'll find out. Yeah, I feel your pain, Mark. I think in the beginning of my USA Leagues career, I was a four or five, and like I really enjoyed. You know, I had a great group of people, and I also participated in in the tri level uh, leagues, which was like three five four oh four five and i went to uh to like to the nationals tournament which was an in indian wells like amazing experience and you know can't do that anymore you know as a five zero. um mm -hmm. but you know i'm fortunate that in our area in the mid-atlantic section uh we we do have like a, a decent amount of five zero leagues and players and all that but i think from a, a stream that i listened to like you said you don't have too many five o's in your area is that right there's no five o's in my area that's rough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is. And, um, you know, you could say that it's, uh, I could take responsibility and start making a 5-0 scene in the Metro Milwaukee area, but I've kind of sided myself with UTR, um, not just because I'm a contract, I'm not employed by them, but I'm contracting with them as a flex league coordinator and a tournament director for, um, the Milwaukee area. Um, it's, the USCA has been in the Milwaukee area a lot longer than I have. I've only been here for about uh, 13 years, if you count college. So because there's no 5-0 scene, and I, I feel like UTR is the way to go for like amateur competitive tennis players, I'd rather just stick with UTR stuff instead of trying to do something with USTA. So that's probably how it's going to be until I get bumped down to 4-5, if that's ever possible ever again. Yeah, that makes sense. And like, yeah, I mean, that's a great point about possibilities. Like if you can't play like USDO 5.0 uh, tennis, uh, at least the leagues, like I guess, are they taking into account like maybe your tournament play? Is that like the only way you can get bumped down? 
Um, I believe that at least with Wisconsin or the Midwest, it might be different because there's different districts with different states. Um, I'm not allowed to appeal anymore because I'm like too far out of the range of possibly being a four or five. But I think I have to wait about three years until mm. I could appeal myself to being bumped down. Now, whether or not they take a peek at my UTR record or they just throw me in four or five. And if I win too many matches too easily, I get bumped back to five Oh, I have no idea. So that's definitely uncertain for the next two and a half or three years, unfortunately. Gotcha, Mark. And so I'm actually the chair of the USA leagues for my County in Maryland. So I actually just want to, uh, you know, self-indulge for my own benefit only (laughs) and just ask you like, what are some of the, the biggest negatives that you would say uh, exist in USA leagues, at least, you know, obviously in your section, and then you could throw in a positive just so we feel better. (laughs) (laughs) All positive. Okay. Um, We play tennis. I know, I know, right? (laughs) So from a four, five, five, oh, type of tennis player, someone that's competitive and also, you know, an adult, I'm no longer in my twenties. I'm turning 32 in April of 2022, which is kind of scary, but you know, if there was a 5-0 state league scene, would I do it? Absolutely. But there's nothing. And, you know, the first one is always the hardest. But the thing is, given how much I'm stretched in between, you know, being a programmer, being a, a YouTuber, being a tennis stringer, being a tennis coach, again, I, I don't know if it's worth it. But some of the positives that the USTA as an organization has done, the USTA state league, especially for women's, um, around the Milwaukee area, the 3-0 to like 4-0, it's fantastic. It's very competitive. There's a lot of girls and a lot of guys doing it. Um, and then men's from 3-0 to 4-0 is also doing fairly well. But I think um, there's more females in the in that range than males, at least in the Milwaukee area. So it's a good, and I'm going to say this carefully, it's a good social outing, right? Mm. Now, when you get to the 4-5 plus, that's when people start to get you know a little bit more competitive and in my opinion a good way so the way i balance things out as a former four or five state league player that's been playing state league for you know 13 13 years now is that at that level it was for me it was competitive it was fun and it was social because we played wednesday nights during the summer you know wednesday's the middle of the week you play tennis and then you grab beers with your friends at a bar and then you you know go about your thursday and friday and boom there's your weekend so in, in my opinion to kind of bring the question you know a little bit more in a in a compact manner for your answer um it's it's very good for social gatherings in a somewhat competitive environment as for actual competition that's where i think the usta has failed in the Wisconsin area. I think in the Midwest, there is a good amount of uh, five O's in Chicago. I'm not going to drive an hour, 15 minutes, one way once a week to play one singles tennis match when I could just do it here and just call up a buddy and just, you know, have a good competitive singles match at the five O area. I know plenty of people that are in the five O almost a five, five level, and they're a little bit older than me, but they have D one and former ATP points, but they just don't want to, mess with the USDA. They'd rather just mm. send me a text message and then play it in indoor court and not deal with the bureaucracy of recording and scheduling stuff. Just call me and meet at a tennis court and play. 
Gotcha. So there are players out there in your area. It's just that they're not being attracted for one reason or the other to USCA. So USCA has to, has to do a better job with either their structure or marketing or something, a combination of the sorts. Correct. And to be honest, you're, the USCA, no matter or any organization, they're not always going to have that 100% conversion rate, right? So I have a, I'm, his name's Peter. He's, uh, I think, late 40s, early 50s. He played at Marquette, which is a D1 Horizon League school in the Milwaukee mm-hmm. area. Uh, obviously, uh, an amazing powerhouse for basketball. And I, I believe soccer as well. Um, but he had ATP points. But he's not going to play USTA tournaments anymore because he's got three kids. He's a lawyer, just like yourself. And he's got other things that he wants to do. It's as simple as that. So, you know, could the USTA do things better? Absolutely. But um, actually, my circle of friends, such as Peter, he's never going to convert into USTA as a competitive thing. He'd rather spend time with his kids and his family and, you know, play tennis with people like me whenever he has a chance. Yeah, yeah, totally makes sense, man. Cool, cool. Well, I hope that uh, you get everything you want in terms of tennis competition, uh, whether it's USTA or otherwise. Um, So let's see here. Yeah, I I do always uh, have a lot of interest in, you know, my guest start in tennis. So uh, I'm sure you probably have uh, a cool story about it. So how did you get your start playing tennis? Uh, I was, let's see, I started in third grade and I was actually, I had a Midwest and I almost had a national ranking at 10 and 12 and under because um, even though I'm small, like for context, I'm five foot eight right now. And so I was always a little bit smaller than my contemporaries, especially after the 14 and 16 age Mm -hmm. groups, because there's this thing called puberty that guys hit. So (laughs) as a freshman, I was 85 pounds and maybe four foot nine. And I'm facing off against people that are like, or not people, I was facing off against boys that were five foot eight to maybe six feet tall that were in my age division just because they're taller and they hit that part of their life a lot sooner than I did. So my rankings kind of dropped. I just kind of went through the motions. Um, Eventually, I went to University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, a D3 school. I made the team my freshman, sophomore year. I never made the lineup. Um, And then I became a hitting partner and assistant coach my junior or senior year at Whitewater. Um, but even at Whitewater, I was probably maybe a mid to low 4-0. I was not that good oh, just because wow. I didn't understand the game. Um, mm. I personally think that I didn't start to become like a good singles, like four or five-ish tennis player until I was 23 or 24. A, a lot of it, actually, almost all of it was maturity and understanding how to construct points and how to play the game. Mm, interesting, interesting. So... um Tell us a bit more about, uh, you know, learning to construct points. Like, what were there certain resources that you, you checked out or like, did you get coaching and any other details about that to maybe help others? Um, no, I guess it just as an adult, as a 23, 24 year old, things just start to click. I'm like, OK, I can't just slap winners from the baseline if I'm six feet out wide to the right. Yeah. I'll make one out of 20. Yeah, I'll make ESPN. Uh, the Ocho top 10 highlights at 2 a.m. in the morning, but <laughs> it's never going to amount to me like actually winning matches and having a consistent, you know, win or good competitive tennis against slightly stronger players than myself. So it's just kind of like, you know, understanding or learning the sport all over again from a strategic level and keeping it simple like, hey, if you're on defense, maybe go cross court. Hey, if you're on offense and you set your feet, maybe hit somewhat hard down the line and close into the net for a short volley put away. 
hey, maybe make your first serves every now and then. That's usually a good sign. Um, so it wasn't like a one in uh, a one day like aha kind of moment. It's just small little things. I'm like, oh, okay. How could I have won that tennis match, or what's a good drill I could do to really like you know construct points to match my strength with an opponent's weakness kind of deal? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing, really. Just trying to get your biggest strength. Uh, you know, you doing that as much as you can against your opponent's weakness. That's that's just like one thing you can think about, and and you know, strategies will blossom from there. Um, you know, question about your your time at uh, UWW. Um, actually, first off, are they D one or which which division? Oh, three. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And so, how was that experience? You know. Um, you know, being with the team, but not being able to play. Cause I, I had a season like that myself, you know, where I, I was just watching matches, not playing. And it was, it was pretty tough on me. Um, but I, I, it sounds like you, you did realize to some extent, like your level at that point and, you know, you've improved a lot since then. So how was that like, you know, um, just, just watching the, the team play? I'm not, I mean, uh, you could probably ask a few people in my situation what they what their sentiments are. But for me personally, like I have no bitterness, no um, negative mm-hmm. feelings towards uh, the coach who is still a good friend of mine. Shout out to Frank Barnes at University of Wisconsin Whitewater, amazing D three program. But he just needed to do what he needed to do. Um, so you know, I was a practice partner, you know, all four years. Um, I was only on the team my freshman sophomore year, and yeah, junior year I got cut. Simple as that. Um, so, you know, watching good tennis, I'm like, okay, you know, it, it is what it is. I wish I was playing, but there is no way in hell I'm like top six or top seven in that team, whatever, you know, needs to get the team, you know, that, that win that five out of four courts or, or that five out of nine courts, or maybe even more. Um, ironically during practices, I would sometimes beat the number one or two during a singles match just because mm-hmm. I had relatively good strokes. Right. But the thing that I'm starting to realize what separates good players from ten, uh, good tennis players from great tennis players is not stroke mechanics. It's, you know, can you do the job when there's a lot of pressure against you? Um, so that's the difference between, you know, a good tennis player and a good practice partner. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, man. Um, so I am curious about how you got into the world of content creation. Um, you know, I obviously do that myself. And like I said, you know, I, I found out about you through um, through Ian's content, but then really have enjoyed your content and your match play videos and so forth and reviews. So how did you start that up? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, when it came to... Uh, March through June of 2020 in the United States, you know, we had a lot of, uh, let's say, free time after our jobs, assuming we still had jobs at the time. Um, So it kind of spun out out of uh, quarantine. I don't know if you want to call it depression, but like, you know, quarantine free time because we had no idea what the heck was going on. So I've always dabbled the idea of being like um, a video gamer, specifically streaming, but I didn't have the skill set for that. So the way that I was um, doing research, the way that I was told to go about it through, um, funny enough, YouTube tutorials on how to make uh, how to make it as a streamer is that <laughs> you actually don't want to be a streamer. You want to be a YouTube content creator that streams on a somewhat regular basis because YouTube is a lot more um, searchable than Twitch. Right. And ironically enough, YouTube Live is actually catching up to Twitch when it comes to um, 
streaming quality, the streaming experience as not only a streamer, but also as the viewer. So I needed to somehow find a hobby that I was already somewhat good at and then kind of convert that content into somewhat a regular streaming platform. And so in this case, it was tennis. Specifically, it was tennis string reviews. And eventually I put in match play, some analysis and uh, some other tennis related stuff around my channel to kind of supplement my content on YouTube. Got it. That, that's, that's super cool, man. And, you know, I read from your profile that uh, in college that your favorite things to do are to listen to music and eat. So you didn't think about like mukbang or something like that, you know, just. <laughs> it's kind of a running joke in uh, in, in my streams. Uh, I, by the way, I stream Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday um, at Sweet. night. If you guys want to check it out, a little self-promo unashamed right there. Um, <laughs> you know, a, a, lot, a lot of my uh, followers are, you know, somewhat trolls. Kind of like I am, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm I am a troll. I'm willing to admit, um, but they always joke about you know mukbang or you know hot tub Twitch streams. Like the mukbang would get really messy just because I have a lot of expensive equipment here. Um, you yeah. know, maybe I could do like something simple and something not too messy. But um, yeah, the, the music thing, I have pretty much down with a uh, copyright strike uh, free. Um, lo-fi music I always pump in the background just to make it a little bit more ambient when it yeah. comes to you know some dead time instead of me just talking 24 7 um, but the food I still have yet to uh, incorporate on a regular basis we'll see cool cool and, and for those of you who don't know mukbang is basically just like eating a lot of food uh, and filming it it's not some other weird thing <laughs> um, it, it does sound pretty bad unless you don't know the context of what mukbang actually is <laughs> exactly exactly i had to clarify that um so uh oh, actually you know uh, another cool thing about uh you know co- creating content is just like meeting people um you know other creators and i don't know necessarily know that this is how you met ian but how did you and ian end up linking up so Ian, um, before he had the uh, Essential Tennis Arena, which he doesn't have anymore, unfortunately, um, yeah. in order to do online or in order to do um, indoor lessons or indoor clinics with private clients of his, he would need to rent courts at local tennis clubs in Milwaukee because during the summer he would do local parks. During indoor season, when he didn't have the Essential Tennis Arena, he would need to rent from local clubs around the area for like hour, hour and a half, right? Yeah. So I was working at a, a small tennis club. I still work there about two hours a week, uh, unfortunately, but it is what it is. Um, I saw him teaching there, um, one of his clients, and this was about three and a half, four years ago, I want to say. Don't quote me on that. But he needed to get his racket strong. So he left the rackets um, at my tennis club. And I kind of knew who Ian and Essential Tennis were. So after I strung the rackets, I left my number to him. I'm like, hey, Ian... I know who you are, and I know you don't live too far away from me, um, but I have this tennis racket string machine in my condo, so if you want to cut the middleman, just give the rackets to me. I'll do it at you know a discount. I think I did it uh, – yeah, I still charge him $10 a racket back then to save you guys some money. And we've been in nice. contact um, infrequently ever since, um, and then when Kevin and Megan left Essential Tennis – to you know, start their own, not start, but to work at their own tennis club back in their hometown, right. um, Ian kind of transformed his channel into like, instead of just instructional stuff, he transformed himself into like him himself being an, you know, a good tennis player again. Um, right. So that's eventually where I 
faced Ian at uh, the Essential Tennis Arena in September of October of 2020. And that's when I busted his ankle. And that was like oh, the best right. thing that's ever happened to him. <laughs> it's the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> Sorry, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal, man. What, was that like yeah. a, in the third set that he busted his ankle? Or I'm trying to remember. Or was that the was second up, set? I was up 6-1 and then 5-2. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, it was a lot closer than um, the score indicated, but I was up on him by quite a bit. And then that's when he busted his ankle. Uh, so, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, that was a freak accident that ended up working out for actually, I would say both of us, um, except for Ian's ankle. But it actually ended up working pretty well because Ian was introduced to my friend Scott Brody, aka Angry Old Man. And then Ian was introduced to a good amount of the people from the Whitewater tennis team like Michael Trice, Cole Lindwall, mm-hmm. and a lot of the people from you know the Whitewater area that are really good tennis players. Um, especially for, you know, college kids. So it, it worked out pretty well for, for Ian, I believe. Yeah, yeah, definitely for, for all of you. So with the match play videos, which is personally my, my favorite part, um, I've seen you play also, I think, Dill Plays, which I found out is like l- kind of local to me-ish, like in Virginia, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but how, how do you end up uh, setting these matches up? Like, how does that work out for you? Let's see. I started off small. I started off with... Um, my main hitting partner, Brian, um, as like my very first tennis match. And then just because of my networking and me now being an extrovert, I wasn't back then. And me being a former sales guy, um, that's probably helped with my extrovertedness. I naturally started networking for these uh, high level 4.0, it's maybe low level 5.0 uh, players in the Milwaukee area over the course of 12 years, 12, 13 years, you know, however long I've been in Milwaukee. So, as soon as people in the Milwaukee area, and Milwaukee is a lot smaller than you think, especially in the tennis community, as soon as they heard that not only do I have a YouTube channel, not only do I have you know, special guest appearances on a frequent basis with Essential Tennis, a lot of people that are brave enough to want to play me in a tennis match started actually texting me. Um, and e- even the people that I don't know, I I still get requests through email and YouTube comments Mm. about people from out of state or sometimes even out of the country flying in, assuming COVID isn't, you know, super hardcore anymore to come in and play me for, you know, a spot to be viewed on my channel, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty dope, man. How do you filter uh, these people out? (laughs) Like, what do you, what are your criteria? Um, they have to be within my UTR range. So thankfully UTR has been pretty damn thorough on, you know, keeping records of, you know, how many matches they've played single specifically. Um, and if there's nothing there, I usually look through USTA. Um, there's only one mismatch. This gentleman claimed to be a five Oh, um, but I ended up being beating him own one. So it was, it was kind of a, a mm-hmm. reality check for him, which, which is good. Um, but, other than that, every match has been somewhat competitive, at least on my channel. Nice, nice. And can you remind me what your UTR is? Check. Uh, I think my <laughs> UTR, as of now, for single specifically, since I'm like a single specialist, it can fluctuate anywhere between a 9.3 or a 9.5, depending gotcha. on um, how many matches I play, how often I play, how good in shape I am. So anywhere between a 9.3 and 9.5. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Got it, got it. And and so, have you had any trouble recording like competitive matches, like in a either a tournament or USA League, um, uh, you know, environment as opposed to just you setting it up regularly? So, um, I, I thought about that, right? Uh, especially when my t- my four or five team back in twenty twenty one made it to sectionals. There's already too many things going on. Like, I just mm. got off, got off of work. I got to make sure that I'm warmed up properly. I got to make sure that all my batteries are charged for my GoPro. I got to make sure that my opponent's okay with it. Right. For USTA tournaments in state league, I, I opted not to do that. So mm. all the recording for my matches on my channel is outside of that sphere. Gotcha. Um, just because I didn't want to deal with it. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember watching a video of Ian's where, like, they, I think they, the referee, like, complained and, you know, he had to take it down. Um, so that's rough. And, like, sometimes, you know, the battery might run out if you don't have, like, a portable, um, you know, small battery. Yeah. So that's kind of rough. Do you ever get nervous uh, when you play these matches that you know people are going to be viewing and, and patrolling potentially? So, this is going to be a weird answer because I know the normal answer would be yes, or at least somewhat yes. Mm-hmm. For me, and keep in mind, I'm an only child, right? Me too. And I do, perfect. <laughs> and I do have a pretty big ego. I don't care what people think about me. That's what it is at the end of the day. I mean, okay, well, I think about, I care about what my mom thinks about me. I sure, care about what my sure. dad thinks about me. Yeah, my, yeah. my circle of friends that I hold very, very dear. But for people that are on the internet that theoretically might not even exist, obviously, you know, I'm joking. I don't care what you think about me. (laughs) Of course, there's going to be trolls. Of course, there's going to be haters. But that's just part of the job. And a good amount of that, I guess you want to call it a chip on the shoulder, is because before I started recording my own matches on my videos, I was recording stringing – sorry, I was recording – videos on string reviews. So I already mm-hmm. kind of had like that exposure before I started doing match play videos. So for, for me, it, it's not a problem, but I understand that for most people out there, there's going to be some sort of anxiety or some sort of reluctance. Absolutely. I get it. But for me personally, no. Gotcha. That's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah. I recently did a, um, a match play video with one of my buddies. It was like a five Oh, you know, match. And, um, 
I was, it was strange too. I thought I would be more nervous or whatever, but I didn't really care too much. I mean, at a couple points, I was thinking like, oh, that would be good for the camera, but I didn't really mind either. And I think it's just like, you know, experience as well, like creating content, you know, that people are going to criticize and、um, just caring about like the people that want you to succeed or give you constructive criticism as, as opposed to just like, You know, stupid messages. So、um, that's great that you have that head on your shoulders there.、Um, maybe f- to help like other players who might want to record their matches, like what is your, and you mentioned the GoPro, but what's your, what other、oh. tools do you have? How many cameras? What's the setup like? GoPro sucks. I hate GoPro so much, but it's the only option I have, right? Because I'm not going to、yeah. spend or I'm not going to take my. Uh, $1,500 camera lens, <laughs>、right. camera body, and a $1,000 camera lens. Yeah. And put it to might be dangerous because what if, you know, a ball、oh, yeah. gets hit the wrong way or what if someone steals it? um In all honesty, and I i am going to make a video about this, about like how to make money on YouTube as a non professional tennis player. But in all honesty, your phone is more than、mm. enough <laughs> as um your your camera. To be able to record one set, maybe even two sets, if your camera is, is fully charged. So, buying a camera mount that hooks up to a fence or to the top of a tarp if you have indoor tennis stuff, and then just using YouTube to just learn how to edit or learn how to make scoreboards. So, you don't need to do, I mean, is what I did stupid spending you know, $30,000 on? You know, computer accessories, camera lenses, rackets, strings. Was it stupid? Kind of. I had I had disposable income.、Um, but for the average person out there that has a much more strict budget, just use your phone. <laughs> It's as simple、yeah. as that. Yeah, definitely.、Uh, you know, don't make technology a barrier or anything like that. Um, yeah, I, I personally use a DJ Osmo Action.、Um, I, I did some like, research and like, I was finding that some GoPro users were complaining about the GoPro like, overheating and stuff. So that's kind of、yep. why, yeah, why I went with the DJ Osmo Action. But I also have a tennis mount, which I use from、uh, Maryland Sporting Goods, but I know there's some other ones as well. I'm blanking on that other one, like the Q. Functional、M1. tennis. Oh, that too. Yeah, yeah.、Oh. Yeah. And there's also the QM1 mount, which is like a. A little bit more expensive, um, uh, slightly different in how you mount the camera, but、uh, that's that's oh, yeah, that, that's made of metal, right? Um, oh, yes,、see. yes, right, 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 yeah. So, the QM1, um, that's really, really good for outdoor fence fences because it's、mm. a pretty nice high sky view. I would argue it's maybe a little bit too high to where, yes, you might see all the Ball bounces and whether or not it's inside the line. But if it gets to be that high, where it's like fence height or maybe even slightly higher, you start to lose perspective of how fast the ball is coming at you、um, from a third person perspective.、Um, so the QM1 is a solid piece of、uh, equipment and it does hold GoPro and、uh, smartphones and I believe iPads as well, tablets.、Mm. Um, excuse me, tablets.、Um, it is expensive, but it is. Made of metal and it's actually surprisingly portable. Like you could put it in your tennis bag right next to your tennis racket. So I would I would suggest that if you guys are playing tennis outside a good a good amount of the months out of the year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's a good one as well as the tennis mount and the functional one. I, they look so similar. I don't even know if those two are different, honestly. But, but the QM1、uh, needs to be propped up above the fence or above the tarp. The functional、right. tennis one, you hook up to the tarp or fence and it comes down. Gotcha.、That's、yeah. And、different. 
I got you. Yeah, that's great to point out. And then I have one that's called the tennis mount, and it looks exactly like the functional tennis uh, mount. So I, uh, <laughs> those those are very similar. But I'll link all those in the show notes. But um, it's great to know your setup, man. So curious to about some, just ask you about some products. Uh, you had a video, and I'll link to your videos as well. One of them was the best stiff round poly on the market. So yep. can you give uh, some or some of our audience or our, all of our audience um, insight on on kind of like what your favorite uh, stiff round poly is? So the video that you're talking about is the Topspin Cyber Flash, and Topspin, the manufacturer, the tennis string manufacturer, is not really well known in the U.S. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, which is actually the biggest reason why I made this channel is because, yeah, Selenko makes really good strings and they're not expensive, not cheap. But I'm seeing people yeah. that aren't making more than you know eighty thousand dollars a year as a household spending money on Luxlon Alu Power or Natural <laughs> Gut. I'm like, dude, expensive. You don't make that much money. There's other <laughs> alternatives. There's generic brands out there, kind of like with prescription and generic when it comes to the pharmacy stuff. This is why I made this channel. So I'm using my channel, my YouTube channel, as kind of like a marketing engine in an unbiased way to help really good tennis string manufacturers be aware in the minds of normal consumers uh, in the tennis industry, uh, probably more specifically around North America and uh, you know parts of Europe. Because when people think of tennis strings, they just think of, oh, Luxlon, Roger Federer uses that. Right. Well, yeah, Roger Federer is also Roger Federer. He has, you know, fifteen million dollars coming in <laughs> just by b- literally breathing. You don't need to buy Luxlon Alu Power Rough with you know natural gut or Wilson NXT or whatever he's using. Right. So it's really cool that you know these small hidden gems like the Topspin Cyber Flash, which in my opinion is better than Luxlon Alu Power, is hmm. wow. it's like three times cheaper and in my opinion performs better in every way, shape, or form. Except Sick. maybe for like, uh, if you like that trampoline effect, yeah, mm-hmm. Lux on Alu Power is a lot better than that. But Topson Cyber Flash, fantastic round poly. Love it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I used to use uh, RPM Blast, um, which, you know, good string. But then I found um, uh, Vocal Cyclone, which, uh, you know, I thought was pretty well priced. Like, I think at the time it was like eight bucks a pack. Maybe now it's nine bucks. Um, a pack, and then lately I've been using Selenko Hypergy 16, which I think you use the exact same strings. There so. it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, the Selenko Hypergy is, is priced very, very similarly to uh, the Vocal Cyclone, unless yeah, there's close. a price yeah. hike or a price dip. Um, but the Vocal Cyclone, it's, it's a pretty unique string because it's what four or five sided, it's extremely stiff, but it's very, very um dead feeling which isn't a bad thing but it's consistent and it provides Mm -hmm. a good amount of spin especially if you're using a semi-western western grip and if you're a heavy baseliner it's fantastic to be honest if hypergy was like 200 a reel instead of 160 i would still probably consider recommending it on my channel it's just that good yeah yeah I, i totally agree man um are there any other, uh, you know, brands that people might not have heard about? Because I think this is really cool what you're doing. Um, you know, any other ones you want to shout out? So, Isospeed Baseline Control. Mm. Okay, so how how much is uh, the RPM or the Babylon RPM Blast? Do you remember? Ah, damn, I don't know. Actually, is that like around twenty? Maybe. Uh, talk about reels. Let's let's talk about reels. Oh, reels. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, so Babylon RPM Blast 
a full reel, a 660. So 660 is 16 uh, strings full bed. Yep. Is retailing at $244.95, right? Mm. Expensive. That's a quarter of a thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> There's a string called the Isospeed Baseline Control, which unfortunately is only sold by Tennis Warehouse. That, in my opinion, is better than the Babylon RPM Blast in literally every single way. Uh huh. And for a 660 reel, you could buy a reel of Isospeed Baseline Control for $33. <laughs> Who's making these ants? Um, I I don't know. I I think it's a manufacturer out of some place in Europe. But like, why? I'm like, why aren't more people hearing about ISO speed baseline control? Like, this is insane. That's crazy. It's literally, in in my opinion, right? As a four five five zero singles player, ISO speed baseline control is literally two hundred dollars cheaper per reel, and it performs better than RPM blast in every way, shape, or form. It's insane. That's insane. So let me ask you this uh, before I switch to this thing. Uh, how, how would you say, like, why do you play with the Selenko Hyper-G right now versus the ISO speed? Like, what's the difference for you? So for me, um, I was using ISO speed back in when I was, you know, 25 or 26 okay. um, as like actually my main string. And then I kind of played around mm-hmm. with it, obviously, um, when I started this channel again, just to kind of get it back. Um, so the reason why I'm using the Hyper-G right now instead of the ISO speed baseline controls, because my racket that I'm currently using, the Bablot Pure Aero VS, it's not like a stiff racket, but it's a lot softer than I'm kind of used to. So to kind of mm. counter that softness that I personally don't actually like, I like it slightly stiffer. I wanted to use a stiffer, more dead string, such as the Selenko Hyper-G. I see. Very interesting. So I, uh, which I told you on the stream, you probably, I don't know if you remember, but I used the the previous version, um, PAVS, as, as some of us call it, the Pure Aero uh, VS. So did you yep. use that that previous one as well, or did you just leap into this newer one without the previous gen? Uh, I didn't try the previous PAVS. I, I okay. just demoed okay. um, the current iteration. I believe it was released in 2020. But you know what? Yeah. It's not a perfect rack. It's a little bit too light. I still got to put some lead tape on it and it's, to experiment with it. But And it's a little too soft, so I'll just throw on something uh, somewhat stiff on there and end up being the Hyper-G. No complaints. Cool, cool. Awesome. So we have a very close setup. Um, uh, speaking of rackets, like any, because I've seen some of your reviews for, for rackets, any ones that have impressed you that you think would be good for the, you know, 4045 level or, or 50 level? Yeah. So um, the Wilson Blade V8 16 by 19, the open string pattern, mm-hmm. it's a very good racket for modern uh, juniors and modern players, except in my opinion, for backhand slices. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it, it just floats way too long. It feels a little bit unstable on aggressive and defensive backhand slices to where um, I, I didn't want to switch to it. Um, the the, eight, the 18 by 20 version of the Wilson Blade V8, uh, it's probably the best backhand slice racket I've ever played with. And it's mm. really good for flattening out. It's, it's 18 by 20. It's a closed string pattern. But the launch angle on that racket is the worst launch angle I've ever felt coming off of any type of frame. And oh. this is a guy that used to play with the Wilson Blade V7 18 by 20 with the exact same string setup. Mm. Slinkle Hyper-G strung at 52 pounds. Um, 
16 gauge and the launch angle was not nearly that drastically bad that drastically low um a little bit of a hidden gem for the stronger tennis players out there especially if you have a one-handed backhand is the wilson or not the wilson is the yonix v core uh 95 uh the 2021 version mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. biggest reason i didn't switch to that racket is because it didn't have enough bite on it on my forehand side but other mm-hmm. than that it's almost a perfect racket and every other aspect when it comes to uh, reviewing tennis rackets at a four five five zero level. Interesting, great to know. Yeah, I heard some good things about that. Um, uh, so, so with the ninety five V core, like, I mean, you have a pretty heavy forehand as well. So, so basically, like, so I, I have like I hit with a ton of topspin. So, do you think I would also not like that racket with a heavy topspin forehand stroke? Probably, to be honest, probably not. But try mm. it out. I mean, I, I could talk your ear off all day, but unless you go out there and actually try and hit with it on a somewhat competitive level, it's all theory <laughs> until yeah, yeah, you know, you're, you're able to actually feel it with your arm. Yeah, yeah. And it's also tough, too. I mean, because uh, obviously, like, the strings play such a big part in it. So, like, if you just order a demo and you try it, like, you may not like it, but with different strings, it would be better. And, I mean, when you get demos, do you restring them? If I have control over it, absolutely. So, yeah. um I actually have a contact in Wilson, and he sent me uh, the two uh, V8 blades, the 18 by 20 and 16 by 19. And um, I asked for it to not be strong because I wanted to test it with something I'm familiar with. Now, it would be stupid of me and absolutely not consumer friendly if I, if I tried those two rackets with something crazy like natural gut at 45 pounds. It, <laughs> like, it feels off. Now, I don't know if it feels off because of the natural gut. I don't know if it feels off because of the tension of the natural gut, or I don't know if it feels off because it's a piece of crap racket. So you want to keep your parameters as close as possible to your you know, preferred playing setup so you have a point of reference you can compare it to. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So uh, yeah, the V95, uh, Vcore 95 is great. I remember um, Carousel, also from My Tennis HQ, he had a really good review on that and loves it. Yep. Um, but uh, thank you for the tips on demoing rackets. I... I did think this was kind of interesting to bring up and we did talk about this a little bit just to make sure it was okay to chat about this but um you know you have encountered a little bit a tiny bit of like you know controversy as the uh, english would say <laughs> I, I think <laughs> you know in regards to uh you know your one of your reviews so can you talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely not a problem um let me bring up the video real quick so the, the the video that you're talking about on my channel is my review of the Nike React Vapor NXT uh, tennis shoe, right? So, <laughs> whoa, hold on. In my opinion, Nike has always made good tennis shoes up until about 2015, 2016. And I'm starting to realize that it's just starting to take a downturn in basically all their male shoe models. So, you know, Nike is a huge company. Um, this shoe got announced. And I wanted to do a review on it after buying it. So I bought the tennis shoe immediately right out of the get-go. Other than looking good and looking pretty fly, like it's a good pair of gym shoes. These are probably one of the worst tennis shoes, if not the worst tennis shoe I've ever put on my feet. And I always <laughs> say that you know I'm 9.5 male with extremely flat feet and um, I have insoles, super feet black or whatever it is. So, you know, it's... Every foot is different, right? So this is coming from my opinion. Now, for some reason, a specific uh, 
a specific warehouse that deals with tennis stuff <laughs> has given it glowing reviews, right? And mm. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm a big fan of Tennis Warehouse, or at least I was. So I'm like, you know, Tennis Warehouse and there are two or three reviewers for this tennis shoe. They gave this very, very glowing reviews. They, they didn't really criticize it the way I wanted to criticize it. Mm-hmm. So what I did, and I'll admit it's probably my most downvoted video um, in my channel ever. And that's perfectly okay. It happens. Um, I want to do kind of like a reaction video of their critique. So was it negatively toned? Absolutely. But what happened was they filed a copyright strike against me because they thought that I was using their material past the fair use type of mm-hmm. uh, content for YouTube. Now, I did the analysis of my video and their content of their review for the Nike React Vapor NXT never really played more than 20 seconds at a time before I paused it to give my input reaction of why I think they are incorrect in their uh, criticism or praise of this tennis shoe. So I got a copyright strike for that. Um, the video was taken down uh, for 14 days, which is fine. Um, and the copyright strike uh, came from a domain name of something something dot uh, tenniswarehouse.com or something. It was uh, uh-huh. it seemed to be from a tennis warehouse domain name. So with all the information I have, it does seem like Tennis Warehouse did file that copyright strike against me because they think I went past fair use. I highly disagree with uh, that judgment. So it got taken down for 14 days and now it's back up. It's uh, cool. my first kind of experience in the copyright uh, copyright strike territory of being a YouTube content creator, which happens. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a tough one, Mark. You know, I mean, you bring up a good point because, you know, I'm sure that, you know, the vast majority of employees at these companies are trying to, you know, put out a, a somewhat fair review. Uh, but how must be so tough you know like your chief aim at these companies is to sell merchandise like how how can i've never seen a review that's like this shoe is shite uh do not buy this shoe or something like the worst is like yeah go ahead i mean think about think about it from tennis warehouse's perspective why would they make a video that just chews up a tennis shoe and (laughs) if they say this is a crappy tennis shoe why would they release it to the public because they're not going to make any money Right. Yeah. I, I personally have yet to see any type of uh, tennis warehouse or tennis express or any type of online retailer review, like absolutely chew up a piece of equipment. So yeah. in my, in my opinion, online retailers or any type of company that would profit off of you as a consumer buying a product that they're reviewing they should not be reviewing that because they're already biased. Let's put it this way. If you're in the market for buying a BMW or a Mercedes, right? You're a lawyer. So yeah. let's say you're making it stupid big right now as, as a lawyer. If you had to, if you wanted to buy either a Mercedes or a BMW and you wanted to review both of those and compare it, right? Would you read a review comparing those two things from... <laughs> Either of those companies. Would you read a review from <laughs> no. BMW or Mercedes about the comparison of those two cars? Right? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. That's of course. kind of where I'm coming from. Yes, everybody has bias. I have bias. Absolutely. But I'm not biased because I am not making a profit whether or not 
someone buys a shoe after seeing my my review. That goes to yeah. tennis strings, tennis rackets, everything I've seen, I've reviewed on this channel so far. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, the most I can take from from those reviews is like if you know, sometimes they list like you know the type of player and like th- their shoe size or their foot type, and like sometimes they'll say, "Oh, this fit this way on me." Like that. That's yep. sometimes helpful, but that's why I love seeing um, you know independent reviews from people like yourself. So. Um, yeah, yeah, just interesting topic there. Uh, let's see what we got here. So I do want to respect your time, Mark. So just a, a couple of rapid fire questions, I guess. I don't know how voracious of a reader you are. You do uh, look like an astute young man, if I do say so myself. But <laughs> what are uh, three books that you would gift a friend to help them play better tennis? Winning Ugly. Uh-huh. That's the only tennis book I've read. <laughs> it does. It could be a non-tennis book, could, <laughs> or it could be a resource. It could be a resource also. A resource. To be honest, but believe it or not, I'm actually not a big reader. Just because I have other forms of media, like if I'm on a treadmill or on a bike at a gym, I'd rather watch a YouTube video of how to do something than kind of read. It's just easier for me. So I guess um, Winning Ugly by Brad Gilbert. Um, Just learning how to like kind of view yourself from a different lens. And for me, that's me watching myself play tennis um, from, you know, the GoPro or the camera's perspective. Um, And I guess the third thing is, especially if you want to, be like a tennis YouTuber as a hobbyist, learn about cameras, learn about technology. It's amazing that, yes, I kind of bash on GoPro because their battery is absolute crap. Um, <laughs> but I can record with my newest GoPro, which overheats like crazy, the GoPro 10 Hero Black. It overheats like crazy. I hate it. But I can record 4K footage at 120 frames per second, which is phenomenal. Sick. Um, but I, I guess a more general resource out there is that if you guys want to learn how to save money, Start learning how to string or start learning how to coach outside um, when it's summer at public courts because it's a good way to get out there. It's good to reach out to your tennis community and to be or wanting to be a good tennis coach at a fair price and not charging $80 an hour like most of these tennis clubs. Yeah, yeah. And you know, maybe we'll get into this another time, but I I can just link to your video that you had about um you know, private coaching, I think it was with Ian and somebody else, how, you know, in a lot of cases, it's not necessarily the best investment. And you have to be very careful about who your coach is. And they're, you know, are they passionate? Are they actually giving it their all? Or do they just like cookie cuttering everything for everybody? Um, Correct. So yeah, but you don't do that. I know. (laughs) Well, I don't do it because like, I don't have to coach. I choose to. Yeah, that's, that's a long story short. Yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Cool. And so where can people find you, um, which we'll link to as well? Yeah, um, youtube.com uh, uh, slash C slash Mark Sanset. Just type in Mark Sanset YouTube, and I'm pretty sure my stupid face is the first thing that comes up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, go ahead. And, you know, obviously, and believe it or not, uh, when I read YouTube comments, the ones that I actually really enjoy reading are – I'd rather read constructive criticisms than constructive praise. I mean, don't get me wrong. Praise, you know, it's like, yeah, keep it coming. No, I'm amazing. (laughs) Keep it up. But seeing constructive criticism actually makes my day because that YouTube commenter is taking time and effort away from his or her day 
to really analyze what I could have done and what I could have done better. So I really do appreciate constructive criticism. I, I do, I do appreciate that. And I'll, I'll, I'll troll some of the trolls as well. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I have fun with that sometimes. Yeah, you gotta have fun with it. Um, cool, Mark. And oh, any uh, socials that you want to shout out? Uh, well, I have a very not safe for work Instagram account, um, but just go <laughs> on my. It's not only fans territory. It, it's okay. It's, it's literally fine. just naughty stuff. Um, <laughs> um, just go on my about page on my uh, YouTube page, and then you'll find my uh, personal Instagram, which is a little bit more safe for work. And then uh, my not so safe for work Instagram called Toxic Tennis Memes. So just based on the handle, you know what path that's going to go down towards. Nice, nice. I actually Googled your name in preparation and I found one thread where some guy or gal like linked uh, one of your reviews for The Blade uh, where you make, you know, you turn Sitsipas's name into a different, you know, word, (laughs) you know, about toilet breaks, which is which was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, so that yeah. was awesome. You gotta have fun um, with it. Of course, of course. So, uh, Mark, I know you got to go. Any last uh, words or thoughts or anything? Just let you have the floor before we uh, end. Yeah, go out there, do something that kind of scares you every now and then, and you know, who knows, it might turn into a career like I'm kind of working for right now. But you know, as always, every time you're on the tennis court, happy hitting. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, Mark, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It was a pleasure, and hopefully, we'll link up uh, again soon and hopefully one of these days play some tennis that'd be great so uh oh uh yeah. Mervan, i i do plan on visiting virginia where dill plays is from and yes. i know you're not too far away so um i still got to make a trip to atlanta georgia for okay. the tennis troll community um okay. I got, i'm gonna be in indian wells this summer um sorry this spring, spring to help ian with an essential tennis clinic and also to watch a tennis tournament um but yeah I, i'm definitely gonna be visiting canada and then hopefully the Virginia area, the East Coast, uh, for some tennis stuff. Sweet. Awesome, Mark. Well, thanks again. Appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with Mark. And Mark, thanks a lot for coming on to the show. And definitely everybody check out his YouTube channel, which we have linked in the show notes page. And I think it would be youtube.com dash C dash Mark Sainsit. So that's M A R K. S-A-N-S-A-I-T, Mark Sansit. So uh, that was that was a really fun interview. Enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully we'll connect again soon. And if you enjoyed that interview, I really would appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. And you can do that in your podcast app of choice that you use to listen to the show. Or you can go to tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts. That's probably the one app that is used the most um, based on my statistics. Also would... I do want to leave you with a quote, as I often do at the end of the show, and this one is by Frank A. Clark. And Frank said, If you find a path with no obstacles, it probably doesn't lead anywhere. Same can apply to tennis, so thank you for that quote and wisdom there, Frank. And with that, uh, thanks so much again for listening. We do have some fun interviews coming up and other content and um, pumping out content on my YouTube channel as well, so definitely check that out as well at tennisfiles.com slash YouTube. And it seems like my voice is kind of going down here, downhill. So we'll end it there. So thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast.
This is Marabana Ranchad signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit tennisfiles.com.